new to talk about the role that low-income, poor housing, homelessness, violence, discrimination, addiction, and more can play in someone's overall health. This kind of outlook has begun to drive some important changes, especially in the U.S., where healthcare providers are linking up with public health and community health actors to develop better health strategies together. But these efforts are new enough and the pace of change slow enough that there aren't yet significant changes we can point to with the health trajectories of large numbers of patients impacted most by daily life outside healthcare's wall, healthcare's walls. So what if someone lit the proverbial match under all the good work to improve health that's emerging in various pockets and created a better way for everyone to learn about that work and support this activity locally and perhaps spread what's effective nationally? and maybe internationally. It's time to imagine yourself both contributing to and learning from a new effort to tip the scales in favor of health. And that's what we're going to talk about on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you bi-weekly, and also you can catch us later via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. 100 million healthier lives. Now, that's a bold and audacious goal, and it's based on some unstoppable new energy and determination that's bubbled up over the past year to pull people and projects and will together across sectors and silos to impact the health of millions. Our guests have the scoop, and I'm going to introduce them in just a moment. But first, here's IHI's John Gothier, and he's here in the studio to remind you how to take part in today's WIHI. John. All right, thanks, Madge. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the screen, it's our chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens the floor to questions later. This allows everyone on WebEx to see your questions and comments and allows our panelists and, co and your colleagues to answer them. Now, there are a few ways that folks have connected to WIHI, and if you're logged onto the computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming from your speakers or headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a slower or less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issue, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any audio hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know, and there's their number's on the slide up right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I'll provide a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted on our archive at IHI.org slash WIHI with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI, and we could use your help for that. Please take some time after the program to fill out our quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks so much, John. Don't forget, if you like to tweet, even during, uh, whether during or after the program, please include our handle, at least, at the IHI in your tweets. I want to thank everyone who's getting on board the program right now. Close to 900 of you enrolled for this show, so we're thrilled with the response. And uh, we really invite all of you to take part in what we hope is a vibrant discussion today. I'm going to start by introducing our guests, and we're going to start by the folks on the phone. 
Capone. Erin Healy is Director of Community Solutions Knowledge Sharing Team. She's helping to design and disseminate innovative approaches to rapid cycle systems improvement, data-driven performance management, neighborhood transformation, and multi-sector collaboration. Prior to this, Erin was an improvement advisor with Community Solutions 100,000 Homes Campaign Team, something we're going to hear more about. Welcome, Erin. I guess we got to unmute your line there. There you are. Hi, Aaron. You're there. All right. We'll get you in just a second. We're also going to introduce Kevin Barnett. He's a senior investigator at the Public Health Institute for the past 20 years. He has been engaged in research and field work in hospital community benefit and health workforce diversity. Kevin currently serves as the principal investigator of something called Alignment for Health Equity and Development, and that's a national initiative to align and focus investments by hospitals, public health, and financial institutions in communities with health disparities. Sounds quite relevant to our discussion today. Welcome, Kevin. You there? Thanks, Matt. It's a uh, pleasure to be with you. All right. You're here. Great. Thanks. And we'll get Aaron in just a minute. Mm -hmm. I've got two wonderful people in the studio with me. Across from me right now is Dr. Shoma Stout. She currently serves as Executive External Lead for Health Improvement at IHI. She's helping to convene leaders across sectors to come together to improve the health of the population in the community context. Shoma also directs the Innovation Fellows Program at the Harvard Medical School Center for Primary Care, and she is Lead Transformation Advisor at the Cambridge Health Alliance, just about a mile from here. Welcome, Thank you so much, Matt. All right. And Ninyan Lewis is here. She's a director at IHI, familiar perhaps to many of you, steering IHI's triple aim for populations focus area, which encompasses <coughs> innovation, content, and programming for the triple aim, population health, population management, primary care, and community-wide improvement so, welcome, Ninyan. We're going to all get started now. So, the first question is going to go to Ninyan. Um, IHI is a founding partner in this new coalition that Shoma is going to tell us more about in just a moment. So, set the stage for us a little bit with how IHI comes to be involved in this journey based on the triple aim and um, just that sense of why we're feeling also very confident about a good time to turn up the volume on all this work. And welcome again. Great to be here. Great to be talking about this particular subject today. And um, we've been on this journey on the Triple Aim since about 2006, and we have learned a whole lot about what it means for um, organizations and community coalitions to make this journey towards full health at scale for populations. And we've learned a lot um, both from those innovative organizations that have really said, you know what, we're going to not just ascribe to the Triple Aim, but we're actually going to go further than that. We're going to actually boldly make some resource decisions. We're going to reallocate our people and our time and our money. Um, and we're actually going to take on the Triple Aim at scale and actually redesign the services that, we, that we're delivering to actually meet the needs and build on the assets of the people and the, and the populations that we serve. Um, but not just those organizations that we've worked with, just also just from the sheer natural diffusion of the innovation of the Triple Aim. I mean, we all, no one can disagree with the fact that the Triple Aim has taken on a life of its own in the best way possible. 
Um, and one of the things that's most interesting for us um, on the variety of topics that we've learned about is particularly for this audience is watching the journey of the healthcare system moving towards better understanding what it means to look at, understand, and redesign their services around upstream determinants of health. And it's whether or not you're actually trying to improve the care or deliver the care um, in a different way for your highest risk, most costly patients, or you're taking on more and more risk for new populations. It's forced the healthcare system to not just want to think about the other determinants of health, but they actually really have to think about it. Um, and we've now seen sort of in parallel watching um, sort of variation continuing across communities. We've seen lots and lots of foundation money and government money going into communities, and yet we're still seeing variation, that there's bright spots and pockets of ex excellence, and why are they not spreading across um, globally or across the United States at scale? And so you almost see now this shift where the healthcare system now has more incentive to sit at a community-wide table to think about community health, understand their role, understand how they can collaborate with other sectors, um, and sort of the time is, is, has never been more right to take on something that's bigger than any of us could achieve alone. Um, and with healthcare really feeling like they can play a role um, to really collaborate on something big and bold and audacious. So it, it gave us the confidence that let's strike while the iron's hot. Um, let's do something that's pushing IHI to think even more at scale than we've ever done before. Um, and once we started talking about it with other partners in health, healthcare, and other sectors, people couldn't say yes fast enough. Um, they definitely were feeling what we were feeling. So it's great to set up this new initiative, a bold, audacious goal that we want to take on, and um, we'll be able to describe that a little bit more over the course of this hour. All right. Thank you so much, Ninyan. All right. Uh, welcome all of you who are just getting on board. We're talking about 100 million healthier lives, and I want to now talk to Shoma Stout. So you've been a fellow traveler leaning into health, um, also largely from the world of healthcare. Uh, a lot of that at the Cambridge Health Alliance, the safety net system, uh, but based on a lot of experiences that you've had. So um, just building off of what Ninyan just said, um, how does that take you to this moment of talking about 100 million healthier lives and you get the nice job of very, in a short amount of time, <laughs> describing what's up with this uh, effort right now? Thanks, Shoma. Uh, thanks, Madge. You know, actually, this is in some ways my second time on this journey. The first one started uh, nearly 20 years ago as I got to watch uh, uh, an effort to improve health care in Guyana shift to really an, uh, an effort to improve health in an indigenous community across education and health and community sectors. And, you know, in the last 10 years, as Cambridge Health Alliance embraced the idea of the triple aim, as Ninyon was saying, and really began to move toward improving, um, achieving better health at a lower cost and a better experience, we quickly realized that where we could, we really made progress, where we really lowered cost and improved experience and improved health status. It was it almost always related not to a direct medical issue, but to some something a behavioral or a social determinant of health. And as Cambridge Health Alliance in the same period of time went from a, an almost completely fee-for-service healthcare system to one that had taken on um, global payments and shared risk, as many of you might be doing, um, and as, as, as we've shifted to really thinking proactively about what we need to do for the 100,000 people that we're really accountable for, we quickly begin to realize that investing in the social and behavioral and community determinants of health weren't just about 
doing what's right. It's always been our mission to improve the health of the community. We run the community and public health departments um, in the city of Cambridge, for instance, but it actually now was actually good business in addition to good health. And I think that ability to align what the right thing to do with what is our sustainable future as a healthcare organization made me really not only realize and become excited about the possibilities that lay by partnering beyond the walls of the healthcare system um, and made the um, CEO and the executive team at Cambridge Health Alliance really sort of bought, bought into that mission. Um, but it actually gave us some really innovative opportunities that we just didn't have when we were able to when we were just sticking within the walls of the healthcare system. Um, and so, as I sort of made this shift, I was the vice president of patient-centered medical home transformation at the time. Um, I, I talked with my colleagues across the country who were leading transformation in um, healthcare systems like um, Group Health or at uh, across, really across the country, um, and. It was surprising to me actually how many of my colleagues were in, at exactly the same point, whether they worked in hospitals uh, and health systems like Kaiser, whether they worked um, within traditional fee-for-service systems, everybody was sort of getting to that same point. Uh, but no one knew exactly what to do with that, and we clearly didn't know the pathway for how we got there. And then as we began talking with people globally, it became clear that they were actually at that moment too. And as Ninyon said, we looked around the country, um, looked at who all was already working about with this and thinking about this and saw how many of them were wishing that healthcare would be a better partner at the table with uh, the community and the public health systems to create health and to really think about how we um, invest our um, precious resources to be able to improve the health of the population you know, beyond our walls and beyond only the definition of our patients. And so that um, triggered the idea of, you know, what could we do together that we couldn't achieve alone? What would it mean for people to go from um, isolated efforts to a bold, audacious movement uh, where we were improving together and moving an audacious goal together? Um, what could we do at IHI and um, in uh, creating an initiative like 100 Million Healthier Lives to not play a role in duplicating and creating yet another effort, but rather in tying together in a meaningful way the efforts that were already there it, to create a role that's what we would call catalytic um, by connecting people that didn't know each other existed but hold a different piece of the puzzle that then that they needed by um, working at, because we were working at scale, scale, being able to affect things like payment and um, be able to learn together at scale at a much faster rate than any one of us could could learn alone. And the idea of 100 million healthier lives grew out of that. And we wondered whether we would be able to get 100 leaders um, together in three months across the country who would be willing to partner with us in that. And found leaders like Kevin Barnett at Communities Joined in Action and um, Aaron Healy and Roseanne Haggerty at Community Solutions and who are, um, you know, really have become core partners with us in this process, as well as leaders across public health, um, leaders in healthcare who are bold and ready to take action. And together, uh, this last October, we convened over, over 200 leaders who came together and began to really think not only um, commit to an audacious goal, 100 million people achieving healthier lives by 2020, um, but then began to roll up their sleeves and start the hard work of figuring out how we get there. Um, and so they identified six core strategies that we needed to work on. The first was sort of creating a healthcare system that's good at health and good at care. 
Um, a second was creating bridges between the healthcare system, uh, the community, and public health systems. A, a third was about creating healthy communities. A fourth was about you know, people to people, peer to peer supports, recognizing that it's friends, neighbors, that, and your peers that really impact your health. And the more that we could create and support those systems, the healthier nation would be. And then creating enabling conditions like payment reform or um, creating um, data systems that connect healthcare, community, and public health data. Um, and then finally, developing new mindsets so that rather, rather than thinking that the only way to improve health is by improving healthcare, we realize that we should improve healthcare and we can connect with a whole host of other partners to work to improve health. And I think, you know, I have to say it has been such a privilege to join um, the IHI team and to join the larger team that is making up uh, the leadership of 100 Million Healthier Lives that represents a team across sectors, across communities, across organizations who are united by a common desire to learn our way to improving health at scale. You know, what's been so um, such a delight to me in this journey um, has been to recognize that, you know, how much our community and public health partners actually value the skills of improvement and the science of improvement and implementation that we've been honing at IHI and have said to us that if you could help us um, partner with us to bring and introduce these to the community that that would be of major value and would help us to accelerate our journey toward health. And I think today we are um, so delighted to share one of the bright spots who's um, sort of taken a, the little bit of that we were able to offer them in terms of thinking and about how we take um, things like uh, empanelment and uh, registries and models for improvement and data-driven improvement and ways of accelerating sort of culture change that we might learn about attitudes around, you know, the, the importance of measuring so that you know you have to change strategy if you aren't actually getting to where you are and have just taken it and run with it in something that's totally beyond healthcare, like uh, ending homelessness. And I think that is just a privilege to have today Erin Healy, who I know you'll be introducing in just a moment, Madge, um, to, to share her story about how, how they've learned to apply these. Thank you so much, Shoma. And I think she maybe took one or two breaths uh, in that somewhere. You got all that out. That was really quite a flow. Thank you so much. I want to just, before we turn to Erin, uh, and that's a very nice uh, introduction, I want to acknowledge that Vicki Minden, who helps us out on WHI, has just put what looks like a very, very bare of a long URL to tell you about <laughs> the 100 million lies. But I swear, if you click on it, um, you'll actually get to uh, an environment that can begin to give you an idea of who's who and what's what. Anyone who is on the phone today who d is not logged into the computer, don't forget you can get all our materials and any of these links as well from info at IHI.org. So Shoma, just to make sure um, that people not only get it conceptually, uh, the structure of the effort right now, which very much is in formation, which is why we're having this program, because we do want want more people to really be part of, uh, you'll be on the next WIHI on this topic. So just give us a very, very quick sense of the structure of the effort right now. Sure. So at this point, um, we are inviting uh, organizations, individuals, communities who are interested in being part of a shared community where we're moving this forward together to come and join and become part of this guiding coalition. Um, you know, as you 
as you join this, we uh, are, are finding a way where uh, there's on our website, if you go to it, you'll see a, a big join button um, for, for on the URL that Vicky put up. And if you go there, you'll see an opportunity to sign on as, uh, as a member. And what that does is bring you into the overall community of people who have committed to collaborating. Um, then we actually, uh, th that community right now is in the process of co-designing sort of what we ought to be doing in these strategies. So rather than coming up, sitting in a room on our own and designing this all on our own, we said that, you know, we actually want the people who are in the work to be able to tell us the most strategic opportunities forward. And that's what we're doing in this phase um, between now and the end of December. Uh, and then we're going to be putting people together into peer learning groups. Um, we're going to be um, launching initiatives that relate to um, improving health care. Um, and many of the uh, participants who are already part of our IHI Leadership Alliance have already identified that as a track that they're going to be a part of. We're hoping to um, engage communities at scale in improving health. So of the pool of people that are there, there will be invitations to join in initiatives as they launch in early 2015. And then we'll be hoping to encourage people to integrate sort of peer-to-peer -peer learning, and we'll be creating learning networks for people to be a part of, where we highlight bright spots like we're doing today with uh, the 100,000 Homes campaign as an example. Um, and while we're, while we're in the midst of laying down this infrastructure, we're already partnering with um, Health and Human Services. We're partnering with um, CMMI and others in a strategic way to move forward um, are the, the kinds of enabling conditions that are going to be necessary. Okay, that's very helpful. So when you see who are some of the founding partners, the strategic advisors, uh, others who are part of this, um, you know, think about who you are in, you know, in this space as well in a very, very broad tent sense that I think Shoma is describing here, and we do hope that you'll engage. Yes, go ahead. And the, uh, if you do the go to the Join button, it actually describes in each um, the different levels of membership as you go to do that. Okay, very, very good. All right, Aaron, enough suspense. We're going to turn to you now. And, um, as, can as, can as, you hear as, me, I hope? Yes, we can hear you. There you are. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. I'm thrilled that the bright spot actually knows how to um, operate the mute button. <laughs> Listen, these are, listen, first thing first. So um, as Shoma was saying, a cornerstone of what it means to work on health these days is to learn from initiatives such as the one that you've been deeply involved in, helping chronically homeless individuals get into permanent housing. Hopefully some folks have heard about the 100,000 Homes campaign. We can get a uh, link up there reminding not that long ago some really impressive results were announced about that effort. And it's been a really interesting two-way learning. Um, you came to us, IHI, to learn about our campaign, and now we're all very much wanting to learn from you as well. So Aaron, uh, kind of walk us through what's been important uh, in, in that effort there, and welcome again. Thank you very much. It's just such a pleasure to be here and uh, be reconnecting with IHI because, as, as you said, um, IHI was, had great influence on the way that we structured the 100,000 Homes campaign. We actually based it on your 100,000 Lives campaign, and um, your folks have been supports to us throughout. So um, quick overview of the campaign. It was a, the 100,000 Homes was a four-year effort to um, house 100,000 of the most vulnerable homeless folks in the country. And that was, it ran from July 2010 to July 2014. And so it just came to a conclusion uh, a few months ago. And um, at the time, I mean, that 
and maybe it still sounds like an audacious goal, but at the time it was a very audacious goal, one for it's focused on the most vulnerable, which others, if you look at it from a different lens, would think as the hardest to house, um, though we didn't see it that way. Um, but I'm happy to say that now I don't think that number seems very audacious, and that's the beauty of um, success and changing mindsets. So I think 100 million certainly is audacious, but once you get there, you're going to think, big deal. Let's go to let's go for a billion. So you know that's that's ahead of you, and I, I think uh, right now 100 million is is definitely audacious enough to get started. But the the results of 100,000 homes, we um, ended up uh, having 186 fantastic communities join across the nation. Those communities housed 105,580 individuals, so we surpassed our goal, and that includes uh, just over 31,000 homeless veterans. So it was a national movement. It grew exponentially over those four years. And I'm just going to run through some of the pillars of why we think it worked, and I think they, they very much align with uh, Shoma's six core strategies that she described. So first, you have to have a very clear goal, which it's a measurable goal. So 100, 100 million is clearly a, a, a clear goal. It's precise. It is time bound. Um, having a due date is incredibly important. So 2020 is your is the the finish line. Um, and then you have to know how to how to measure that. And I think that's in process right now, figuring out how you're going to measure that across the globe. Um, so you actually um, are apples to apples. What does it mean to improve and have a healthier life? So clear goal, data-driven, and time-bound, which I think um, the campaign is well-structured for that. Um, we also knew that we had to have appeal to people's rationale, their logic about, is this, is this a crazy idea? Will this actually work? Um, can you, for the pragmatic folks, um, to get them to understand that we weren't just wide-eyed, bleeding hearts who wanted to do good things, we actually had knew how to do those things. So. Um, we did uh, put out uh, many different tools and, and data that backed, backed up our work. And there is a lot of data about permanent supportive housing, which is low-income housing with services, and how effective that is, and in particularly um, how, how um, cost-effective that is. So that is a, a method called housing first, where the, the theory and the approach is that you house someone who has been homeless, house the most vulnerable folks that you can find, and then work with their issues, whether it's substance abuse or mental, um, mental health issues, um, instability. Uh, that is a flip of the way it had been done where folks had to sort of fix those issues, um, to use sort of a crass term, but to, to get better, get sober, and then we'll talk about housing. That didn't work so well. So the data has come through very loud and clear that if you do that approach, that old approach, you're, you're probably spending four to five times as much to keep that person homeless than you would to house them in permanent supportive housing. So that's become a slam dunk in terms of the data. So that was a big appeal to, to folks' rationale. It applies to both sides of the aisle, whether you're a fiscal conservative or a raving liberal, that's the, that's the answer for you. So you need to, to have the data. Um, knowing everybody by name, so we promoted uh, assessing folks for vulnerability, having some objective measures. Um, we also took photographs of people um, and there was a very practical need. If people, people were, if they allowed their photograph to be taken the night that they were surveyed, and of course we got their permission, there was a very practical reason for that, that outreach workers needed to go out and be able to find these folks. It also, uh, one other consequence of these photos was it became one of our biggest rallying cries. Um, if you want to appeal to people's emotions, I mean, I think the next slide will show you that 
to show these before and after. This is Ed. Uh, the previous slide is a gentleman named Ed who was in Skid Row in Los Angeles. That, that photograph was from the night he was surveyed. Uh, he's been homeless for almost 10 years. And this photograph is Ed after a few months in housing. It's just a spectacular transformation, a rebirth of a human being. And I think that Ed, Ed has been very gracious in letting us share his photographs. It's just one of many before and afters, but um, that is the you see, emotional appeal. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with the rider and the elephant, um, a metaphor, but the elephant is the sort of emotions of people moving the elephant, um, so appealing to people's emotions. So, um, and Ed actually just joined us at the White House in July to celebrate 100,000 homes. So we're very grateful to Ed's generosity in sharing his story. Another um, just piece of, uh, I think it's an interesting piece of data um, on the emotive appeal, having a passionate leader. Um, Becky Canis uh, was our leader. Um, she was the director of the campaign. She's a veteran herself. Um, and she is, is a very emotional, passionate person about this issue, so much so that she actually got a tattoo halfway through the campaign that had the number 100,000 with one missing zero. So she was betting on us getting to that finish line so she could fill in that last zero. And it would have been really disappointing if we hadn't made it. So that's, that's commitment right there. Though I'm not, sure, I'm not suggesting you need to get a tattoo on your forehead. <laughs> Um, the other piece is shrinking the change. And this is a phrase uh, right out of Dan Heath's book, Switch. Um, so it's taking a big audacious goal and shrinking it down so it seems graspable to the folks that you're working with. Here's an example. Um, this slide shows um, we got to a point in the campaign where we realized if communities could just house, instead of just saying house as many people as you want or end homelessness, if you house 2.5% of your chronic and vulnerable individuals every month, you will be on pace to end homelessness in four years in your community. So we, we, we put out that 2.5% call to action, and the blue line shows the housing placement rate performance over time of those, camp, those communities after we announced that. There's something very powerful about chunking things down to something that seems graspable and um, then people really have a monthly pace and a monthly goal to go for. I'm going to give you an example of magically shrinking the change for 100 million lives. Here's, here's just an example. If you recruited 100 countries, they'd each have to house a million each. And in, in those countries, if you recruit 100 cities, that would be 10,000 per city. And if you divide that by 67, 60 months, that would be 167 people per city per month. That seems very doable versus 100 million. So that's an example of shrinking the change um, for the folks that are going to join you in this effort. Transparency was also a big issue. So the data that we collected from each campaign community every month, that was put up on a dashboard on our website. So at any time, anyone could go and see how are folks doing, um, who, who's doing incredibly well, let's go learn from them. So we wanted to not be... Uh, not be stealth about data. We wanted to be open about what's going well and what's not. As a team, we also were very uh, committed to that. And there was, I think, two weeks into, two months, in, I'm sorry, two years into our campaign, we looked at the data and asked our data performance manager to, you know, give us the skinny on how are we doing in terms of projections. And uh, at our retreat, he said, I hate to tell you, but right now you're on track to become the 30,000 homes campaign. And that was a very uh, 
depressing day for us at the retreat. But what we did is we faced into the data and then we rejiggered our approach. We, we course corrected our interventions and, and then the, the, the placement rate just started going up and up and up. So you have to know where you are in space in terms of your performance and your data. We also focus on bright spots as you are doing today on this call. So we called out the folks who were in what we called the 2.5% club, the folks that had achieved that rate, and that club grew from 6 to 60 over the, over the four years, or actually over the two years that we had in, instituted that. We also had something called a fully committed list of folks who were active in the campaign, not just in the campaign by name. So we wanted to you know, shine some light on them and make them feel like they're part of a special club, and they really appreciated that. They would walk around the National Alliance Convention wearing their 2.5% button, you know, it was something that people stri strive for and it was meaningful to them. Um, there's a phrase I'm going to say called escape the matrix, and we actually have a slide on that as well. Uh, this is a phrase that our um, campaign director used in a speech at the end of the campaign, that, and this is part of the culture change, the mindset change. You have to try, have people willing to step out of the way things have been done, that kind of invisible machine that you're stuck in and you don't even know it. So in the movie The Matrix, if you take the red pill, you can break out of the machine. And so that's what we're trying to do. That's what we think that the communities in the campaign did. They broke out of the matrix. So encouraging people, supporting people to do that. And then celebrating and connecting. So we celebrated the bright spots. We celebrated each milestone. We had people send us photographs at 50,000, 55,000, 60,000. So we, we, had, we picked a community to spotlight on that day. We've created a Facebook hub, so we have over 400 communities that are connecting on the Facebook hub, helping each other solve their own problems. So there's a, a peer support network that is very powerful um, where we see every day people answering each other's questions. We had monthly webinars called All Hands on Deck Calls, where we spotlighted best practices and um, more bright spots and had, it was again, another gathering place for this virtual movement. And the campaign did become a movement because of all this work we put into making people feel like they were part of something tangible. We did take some deeper dives with the biggest bet communities, so the communities that had the highest number of, of people who were homeless, and we did were on the ground doing some improvement science type applications with them um, to help them accelerate their housing placement. Um, so it's, it's good to strategize how are you going to invest your capacity when you can't get to every single country. So. That was a big, quick rundown of um, some of the key factors in the campaign, right. and um, I've, I think I covered it, so I'm going to yeah, turn it over to you all for all some right. discussion. Thank you so much, Aaron. And again, you know, on WIHI, we often ask people to uh, boil down to, you know, just five minutes, six minutes or so, um, you know, something that went on over many years. And um, we actually have some more slides that um, Aaron had sent me that maybe we'll also post um, to um, the archived edition. So we're going to hear now from, Ke thank you, Aaron, very much. Now we're going to hear from Kevin. Kevin Barnett, and um, and that's a nice, uh, healthy photo of Kevin hiking. We would all like to be doing that. And um, I want to encourage people. We're about to get to chat and Q&A and discussion. We want to know what your questions are, um, what kinds of things you've been envisioning, uh, working on related to health. Where are you? Uh, those of you who've joined today, are you calling from a community group? Are you uh, calling from uh, some part of the healthcare system? Would love to know where you would even place yourself uh, on this journey and any ideas that you want to um, 
put into the chat because remember everybody downloads the chat and it's it's a document for you to work off of uh, after the show. All right, Kevin, so you're no stranger to the discussion we're having today. I just gave a very brief sense in your bio. Um, you're also a board member of Communities Joined in Action, and they are a very enthusiastic founding partner in 100 Million Healthier Lives. So talk about CJA, uh, what they're up to, and why this effort makes so much sense. Uh, apparently, uh, you're one of those folks that Shoma said, or Ninyan said, couldn't say yes fast enough. So uh, why? how come? Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Madge. I... Uh I, I so appreciate being part of this discussion, but I will I will be brief so we can get to the dialogue with with folks that are online. So the Communities Joined in Action is a private nonprofit uh, with a diverse array of of over 200 community health collaboratives across the country. Um, these folks are engaged in a, in a broad array of activities that looking both at at increasing access, but increasingly looking at ways in which we can come together to address the underlying causes of health problems in our communities. Uh, our role um, over the last 15 years um, as an organization is to assist our members by providing uh, them with access to a variety of technical resources, convening and looking at ways in which to rapidly disseminate the kinds of innovations that are in play um, among those organizations. Uh, I'm based at the Public Health Institute, uh, which is in Oakland, California, but supports research and field work both domestically and internationally across a broad spectrum of um, health improvement-related activities. A big focus of my time over the past 20 years has been working with hospitals and other stakeholders and looking at a more strategic, as we say in public health, more upstream approach to addressing um, health problems and focusing where health inequities are concentrated in our communities, really looking at how we can address the social return, determinants of health. We've entered in a, an immensely exciting new, um, new time, um, in part uh, driven by the passage of the Affordable Care Act, but in part recognition that the rising costs of health care are just unsustainable and there's a need to really shift our incentives away from conducting procedures and filling beds and towards keeping people healthy and out of our hospitals. That really requires that we partner in a very meaningful way with a broader spectrum of stakeholders and sectors. Um, it, in the community benefit arena, means really breaking out of the compliance mentality and really looking at how we transform um, both our institutions and the communities that we serve. This isn't just a business proposition. It's, it's really um, uh, not just about doing good. Um, we've made some unwise investments as a, as a society. We've dramatically underinvested in prevention uh, and as a result had to overinvest in inpatient specialty care. We've spent, um, we've dramatically underinvested in early childhood education and related uh, childhood development and as a result spent vast resources on incarceration. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, folks may have seen an editorial just this morning uh, by Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times, so he noted that only 34% of three-year-olds in the United States are in some form of education program, uh, where there's an average of 70% of children among the other 34 industrialized countries. Um, we must do much more across sectors to build hope and opportunity in our communities. You can't have health without some hope that there's a meaningful role that you can play in society. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to be uh, a part of this process. CJA is delighted to be a founding partner of this exciting initiative, and I look forward to our conversation. All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. Really appreciate it. So glad you're here. Um, all right, John, uh, uh, people are probably doing a lot of listening right now, but we want to get people uh, also scribbling in, uh, typing in some questions and comments as well. Do you want to remind people how to use the chat, John? Yep. Just make sure that all of your uh, questions and comments are addressed to all participants in the send to bar down in the chat. All right. Thanks so much. So Megan is asking, what are the expectations of the providers who join the campaign? Um, Shoma, you want to uh, take a stab at that? I think I get that question, but uh, let's take a stab at it. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think that we're asking everyone to look within their context first and say, what could I do given where I work, whether it's within the walls of the healthcare system or beyond, to, to take the improvement of health to the next level. So if you're in primary care, you might think, how could I partner with patients better in their health or help create care plans where we begin by understanding the person's context and do a better job of addressing not just the medical, but also the social uh, determinants of health or the behavioral determinants of health. And then the second thing we're asking everyone to do is look beyond where they normally think of working and look around and see who else is out there. You know, one of our members said, go introduce yourself to the local public health department um, director or um, see who are the community organizations that are working in your area. Your community has may very well have recently created a community needs assessment. Do you know what that is? And, and offer to be of service. I think a big part of what we're trying to do in asking providers, whether you're a, a, a solo provider or whether you're somebody who is a, a leader of a healthcare system to do, is to really understand that you have things you can do right right where you are to improve health. And there, may, there are a, a host of partners who have a vision that are probably right around you that you have no, that you may or may not have connected with yet. And the way, the extent to which you can go to them humbly and offer to be of service, um, the, the more likely we are to improve the health of, of the community as a whole, as well as the health of your patients. Okay, thanks. Here's a question. Ken, you're brave. It's okay. It's not so crass, your question. <laughs> what organizations will make money from broadly improving health? So one of the, the big ones, uh, the kind of big audacious issues out there around financing and reimbursement. So I don't know who wants to, uh, at least how, how we're thinking about that. And um, I don't know, Kevin, should I start with you on that? Because, you know, you're, you're so involved, particularly looking, um, working with healthcares around the community benefit issue, uh, where that has to now become something meaningful as well. Um, apart from the IRS pressure, I mean, it's the right thing to do, and everybody's scratching their heads about business models. So how might you address this question? Well, it's a great question, and, and we need to ask these kinds of hard questions in this process. Uh, for the moment, um, uh, most health care is, is financed through a fee-for-service mechanism, and that, that makes it uh, difficult to... Um, to make the kinds of investments that we're talking about. My uh, experience increasingly in engaging hospital and health system leaders around the country is they really see they really see the train coming down the tracks, and they see as we expand enrollment and as we look at ways in which um, transparency is increasing in terms of outcomes, in terms of costs of procedures, 
Uh, and as we move more and more towards some form of global budgeting, they are going to be at risk. Um, and many of the factors that are driving the health problems that people experience are outside of anything that can happen in the clinical setting. So, um, so the in terms of of where they are now and where they're going, uh, those that are forward thinking um, are really beginning to move uh, definitively into this area. I was in Atlanta last week uh, at a conference that was put on by a small health system in northern Ohio and southern Michigan, ProMedica Health, and they have taken up the issue of food insecurity. Um, they don't make money off, off of this, but this was the third conference that they've held in Atlanta, the first two in Chicago and Washington. So in the near term, it does involve leaders who have the courage uh, of their convictions to begin to take on these issues. Um, but gradually, it will become um, a, a financial proposition for them. Now, in terms of looking at how um, how this contributes to financial well-being throughout communities, this really requires us to look at how we partner with other stakeholders um, in the community development arena, for example. This is the core driver for our initiative alignment for health equity and development. It is in recognition that so much of what is um, uh, is happening and ways in which, for example, financial institutions fulfill their Community Reinvestment Act obligations has dramatic health impacts, whether it's investment in affordable housing or grocery stores or child development centers or multi-service community health centers. Um, these are important investments. So, that, so the challenge is how do we align these respective efforts? There are some exciting developments across the country of these stakeholders coming together and say, how do we do this? It is in our shared interest. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Shoma, um, go ahead, uh, and I, um, Aaron, we'll circle back to you as well and get Ninyan in here. Uh, a kind of a follow-up about a sustainable business plan model for community-wide health initiative, and then some other interesting questions that have come in too. You know, everybody, uh, off, everybody thinks about where what will happen with the money, and I think in healthcare we often think of this as a zero-sum game between healthcare and the community. And I have to say, my experience of actually watching this shift happen at Cambridge HealthWise is it's actually, it actually is a huge opportunity for a win-win uh, situation between healthcare community and public health. And that may seem counterintuitive, but there are actually business models. If, if you think of your accountable care organization, and many of you are beginning to explore some level of shared savings or, um, or uh, or shared risk, actually investments in the social determinants of health for your patients actually begins to very quickly make good business sense for you. There's enormous waste in the way resources are currently used within the healthcare system. And the opportunity to, um, you know, as one of you talked about, a behavioral health patient that's um, in, in some cases staying for days in an emergency room, that's a pain point for your emergency room, that's high cost uh, for you, it's a terrible outcome for the patient. So let's think if you could imagine partnering to create a different outcome for that patient, you might have a, a very different answer. For people who are suffering from mental health and addictions um, it, issues in, in particular, I think there are just huge possibilities for win-win. And one of the things that we're working with 
um, CMMI, uh, that CMMI is actually already just working hard on, is thinking about models for what we're calling, what they're calling accountable health communities, where there are mechanisms for sharing financing between healthcare and community and public health systems. But they're actually simpler uh, models forward, and Kevin was referring to some of them, like community benefits, um, as well as um, opportunities like social impact bonds that the Federal Reserve is looking at, um, opportunities to, um, you know, do you do pay for performance, whereas as patients make it to each of these systems that um, you actually trigger a payment to social service and other agencies that are providing that service. This isn't about... Um, this isn't about um, trying to take wholesale resources from one place to another. It's about us saying, how can we use resources in the best possible way to improve the health of, of the population? And actually being committed to what brought us in, into healthcare in the first place. So that's, that's why we're all here. Um, and I think, you know, it is very easy for things to get politically charged and to go um, into the, an us and them framework. But I think the real opportunity here is to actually avoid that uh, that trap and to recognize that it is possible to improve health, even as we improve health care. It is possible to improve health in partnership with patients and communities. Um, and that, frankly, in it's individuals and people hold a big part of the, the solution. And, and perhaps it's as we empower them to really take um, charge of their own health and in defining what, both what we should do do with them um, as well as what they need for, from their communities that we will begin to see some new paradigms that give us real win-wins. Thank you, Shoma. I want to say to the person who wrote in from Nevada, the clinical nurse specialist uh, talking about behavioral health, excuse me, behavioral health patients and being uh, kind of hung up in the ED. Uh, the December 4th WIHI is another one of our programs where we're going to be looking at deepening work uh, in this uh, space as well. So I hope you you know might consider tuning into that. And I think this is a great opportunity. You were saying, you know, what can one individual do? One individual uh, can do a lot, particularly if you start to network, and uh, perhaps even some of you on the show today might want to start networking uh, with this person uh, who uh, has just uh, spoken up, but we also hope that we can kind of reach out as well. Ninyan, I thought I might ask you uh, to um, oh, write, somebody is writing a, a note, Ninyan, and we're writing upside down. All right, we'll figure it out. Uh, sorry. Oh, Shoma, just <laughs> encouraging folks, we've got a great LinkedIn group that's, ah, thank um, you. that's getting participants um, every day um, by the minute. So please, we'll include a link to that and people can get signed up through the LinkedIn group as the well. The LinkedIn group mm -hmm. as well. All right, if it's easy enough. For connecting enough. and networking. Yeah, <laughs> terrific. All right, that's exactly what I was looking for. So somebody has asked a question uh, saying that some effort like this, I guess, and I hope I'm not paraphrasing in the wrong way, um, but concerns that politically charged vocabulary will cause compassionate conservatives, and this person says, no, it's not an oxymoron, who share the improvement goal and believe that responsibility and accountability also accrue to the program's beneficiaries. So um, let me, um, I don't know if, if Shoma or Ninyan, if, if you have any thoughts about that. Um, go ahead, Shoma. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's a core strategy for people yeah. to be engaged in their own health and in the health of their neighbors. Right. I think we have hugely undervalued people's contribution yeah. to their health, and that's actually exactly why we have 
made that a core part of what we think is important. Okay, thank you. Ninyal, somebody's wondering about in programs that may be targeting rural and more remote populations. I don't know if through the AAA work, um, that also starts to give us kind of a foundation for some of the communities that have been part of that will, in one way or another, probably be linked into this effort too. Yeah. I think there are some great health systems that have taken on sort of the, the safety net slash rural hospital space um, and looking at, at um, the resources that they have. To, and, and there's folks like the ECHO program that's looking to, to use telemedicine to really get healthcare resources at the hands of people who, who are in such remote places that um, there's no way that they could get in a day to the to the doctor. So there's some of, of those bright spots going on. I also think the the sheer amount of community coalitions that are going beyond the neighborhood or, or citywide space and counties that are actually linking up together saying, you know what, um, we are five counties in central Illinois. Um, we all care about the same population. Um, and we all have something to gain and something to lose, so let's let's link up. Or um, 15 counties in central Michigan who have all been hit by the automotive industry um, decline, and they're watching businesses leave the region and families leave the region in droves. And they want their region to be someplace where f young families want to stay and where businesses can be can be attracted to. So we're starting to see those that kind of collaboration happen at the county level and multi-county level more than I've seen um, in the last 10 years. Okay, great. And, and, you know, one of the things that has been great about having when people sign up for the Guiding Coalition is they really say where they're from and what kinds of um, people their organization serves. And we have, for those of you who are thinking in rural areas, we you know, right now the Guiding Coalition covers, you know, well over 35 million people in the country in a wide range of geographic areas from um, rural areas in Alaska to Wisconsin to South Carolina to so and a lot of what we're going to be doing is putting people into peer groups where they might be learning from each other and trying to enable those strong learning networks that can help people to get there. All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, somebody is meant asking about something going on in Idaho, and that's again the kind of thing uh, anyone on the program today uh, feel free to respond. Ninyan, did you, did you have any thoughts? Ninyan looked like she did. Go ahead. Oh, I was just shaking my or, or yeah. nodding my head that these are the kind of questions yeah. that, that people are asking all the time. Is there anything going on in, in places that are near me? Or do yeah. people have the same issues that I do? Or are they working with a small number of assets that they don't know how to mobilize? This is precisely why we're starting an initiative like this, okay. is to finally give communities a space where they can identify, move beyond best practice, that seems amorphous and something they can't get their arms around to being able to share war stories and, and ideas that are immediately testable. So it's this kind of initiative that can, can provide the answers really quick for people. All right. Uh, I want to thank Bill, who says I'm working with some rural communities, including a region in Alaska with some of the low-cost innovations that can be quickly excuse me, implemented to improve healthy eating and active living, and I'd be happy to share some of these. Well, Bill, go ahead and chat anything in that's easy right now and feel free uh, to email info at IHI.org with any additional resources, and we'll put those right into the resource document. Um, and uh, we'll make sure. And also, we're going to share some contact information with the principals behind this effort. Um, someone uh, asked earlier how we're planning, gets Gale, to measure healthier lives. So, um, Shoma? Sure. So, you know, our, we know that what you need to do to improve health in um, rural Alaska and what you might need to do in East L.A., 
and what you might need to do in Nashville might be entirely different because the needs of that community are different. And yet all of those things lead up to a higher overall goals um, around health. And so there's been a measurement group that's made up of both um, real experts in the field across lots of different measurement systems, from Dave Kindig, who runs the IOM um, Institute of Medicine group and Roundtable in Population Health, to um, David Radley, who works on the Commonwealth Fund rankings, to people at the CDC, et cetera. And so what they've done is given, at the technical level, what might be five to ten high-level outcome measures, like healthy life expectancy, self-reported health outcomes, things like that, that would apply no matter where you are. And then they're working on, as a second phase, they'll be working on how, um, regardless of what the initiative is, you can tag that to a theory of how many health, healthy lives that you could improve using that. And hopefully, um, as Erin has suggested, we'll be able to figure out that 167 per month goal um, in the life of the initiative so that everyone would be able to see if I'm working on violence and um, assessing in substance abuse and childhood education, this is my guess for, you know, this is my theory about how that'll contribute to the number of healthy lives that we think we'll be able to reach in that way. And we, we will be looking to provide support to people to be able to make those kinds of calculations and then to begin to really think then per per month, how many people will I need to improve the health of as I go on in the course of this initiative? And what's my theory of change for what it'll take to get there? All right. Thank you so much, Shoma. So listen, an hour goes by sometimes very quickly. And uh, sometimes it takes a little while even for all of us to get warmed up. But we're so glad you've joined us today. And we do hope you'll check out the resources, share this program with others. So this program, all the resources that we've mentioned today, plus more that maybe we'll find out about, uh, will be posted to IHI.org tomorrow. Um, so do not despair. We'll also save the chat. And you can download the chat as well. And thank you, Kathy, for uh, your comments about S Sonoma County. This is exactly um, the kind of thing that everyone is excited to learn about. So I want to go around the horn uh, very, very quickly uh, because we are coming to the top of the hour and want to respect everyone's schedule. I'm going to start with you, Erin. We didn't forget about you with your amazing story about 100,000 homes. Uh, some parting words and uh, any reflections even on some of the things you're, you're hearing people wrestle with uh, on the call um, as, as we wrap up. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. I just want to say I'm, I'm just honored to be included on this panel. I was happy to defer the questions to the healthcare experts. And one of the things I think is most exciting is we are learning to apply uh, different modalities across sectors. So in the human services sector, we should have cutting-edge technology, improvement science, design thinking, cause, and, and best of healthcare and vice versa, because we're all trying to do the same things, which is solve complex social problems. So it's just an honor to be uh, connecting with all of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking part. Kevin, final some uh, parting shots. Uh, we hope to get you back on here. Um, so many rich things that you're involved in as well. Did we lose Kevin? Oops, his line may be muted. I hope we didn't lose Kevin. There you are. I heard I'm here. You. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would just echo Aaron's point. It's been a, a privilege and a pleasure to participate in this discussion, and in particular uh, in the larger initiative. Um, I would just encourage folks that are listening and those with whom you may be in contact to encourage them to reach out. We, we want to expand this, obviously, given the ambitious 
it's really important that we are able to tap into and look at ways in which to support uh, and disseminate, replicate, and scale the kinds of innovations that are going on in the field. So please do reach out uh, to us and, and uh, share with us the, uh, the treasures that you have. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your time today. Um, okay, uh, Ninyan, thoughts? Um, working hard here <laughs> on so many things, yeah. Sure. There's so many of us at IHI that have been waiting years to have a conversation like this at, at a broad level, and so we're so excited to be at the table. I think I do want to mention that IHI is 100% committed to helping the healthcare system go on this journey from individually coordinated, paid for, delivered care towards population medicine, as we call it, where you're using all the available resources you have at your fingertips within the healthcare system to help serve a population, and then going even further into population health. And we we do know that it's a journey, it's a longitudinal journey, and some people aren't at the nece necessarily at the place where they're ready to, to take on health. Um, and IHI is, is right there uh, in the trenches with anyone who's on that journey. So in addition to the 100 Million Healthier Lives campaign, um, there's a whole portfolio of work that we're doing in the area of population health and population management, all of which is going to be steadily coming out in 2015. So definitely keep your ear um, and your eyes on the website. Thank you, Ninyan, so much for being part of this. Shoma. So the opportunities you already have, no, I really welcome people to join the 100 Million Healthier Lives community and the Guiding Coalition. That's just a, an incredible way to begin to uh, link the effort. And what you should be able to expect in the year 2015 is um, an opportunity to not only to be part of a shared learning system, in addition to just a, a shared network, as well as an opportunity to um, be part of shared initiatives um, that you um, that we'll be hoping to make available, including a new wave of peace that are healthy communities, opportunities to work with other healthcare systems that are trying to create change, opportunity to leverage up peer-to-peer -peer supports. These are all um, things that we will be building as part of this initiative and that we will be not just building ourselves, but looking at what's already out there that's working to, in this direction and connecting uh, uh, meaningfully as a part of this initiative, like the one that uh, Kevin is leading um, across five cities now to improve equity. And so we thank you so much and look forward to being on this journey with you. Thank you so much, Shoma Stout. So I want to thank our audience today and our wonderful panel. Um, you're all brave souls uh, in the middle of the day to think big and think bigger with all of us. And um, your ideas and experiences are going to really matter to something that is in formation right now. So I want to just say that we've got more coming up on WHI. As I said, on December 4th, we're going to be talking about the road to team-based primary care and behavioral health. We've been looking a lot at primary care and deepening issues around behavioral health integration and this is we're going to be another opportunity. So the webpage about that is live now, on, and uh, I hope uh, you'll take an opportunity to enroll in that. A reminder, you can download the chat, any slides when you log off the WebEx today. Um, we very much appreciate your filling out a brief survey. Let us know what you made of today's show and what we can do better. Check out the archive pages tomorrow. Uh, if you have something you'd like to share on IHI's Facebook page, Please do. Any questions whatsoever, email info at IHI.org and feel free to suggest future show topics. We'll also make sure to share that LinkedIn um, inf contact information with you because it sounds like a, a discussion could continue after that. Shoma? 
As if you join the Guiding Coalition, you'll receive an ah. invitation to LinkedIn. All right, there's that join button referring to, so check out the links. Uh, great group of people help us make WIHI possible, including all our panelists and the audience on any given show. We've got John Gothier, Matt Morris, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rosner, Val Weber, and Lily Stairs. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care, most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.